Welcome to another episode of The Jazz Scene, giving you an in-depth look at the music and stories of the music community here in Columbus. The Jazz Scene is presented by the Jazz Arts Group, America's oldest nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing the art of jazz through performance and education. My name is Zach Comston, Director of Education and Community Engagement here at Jazz Arts Group and a professional musician living here in Columbus. So today on the jazz scene, we're joined by drummer extraordinaire, jazz drummer extraordinaire, educator, band leader, composer Matt Wilson. Matt, thanks for joining us. Ah, jeesh. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> thanks for those uh, nice endearing terms. But um, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be in uh, Columbus, and it's always great to hang out with you. You're 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 a great cat. You're special with the music, not only oh, as a player but as an advocate for the music, which is what we definitely uh -huh. need more of. So yeah. from the bottom of my heart, I thank uh, everybody at. Uh, Jag, and then all the work that you guys do, especially, but especially you and, and uh, bringing us here. So we appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. And so you guys are here with your quartet mm -hmm. uh, in Columbus for what feels like you guys have been doing like a week's worth of stuff. It's been three days. I know. It's like get a ton of stuff done. Doing some educational outreach leading to these performances tonight at Notes here in Columbus at a, at a club that's uh, relatively new, really cool spot. Um, and we've, we've, Currently, we've done two, three schools in a, in a sort of public uh, offstage at our Jazz Academy space. And you guys, the thing that I've noticed right off the bat is you guys are so loving with the music. And you talk about community and you talk about sort of embracing where you are, embracing the moment, embracing the song. Um, that probably didn't just come naturally. Did it for you, or or uh, this sense of community that you have with your band, and then you take around all over the world. You were just in Chile. Yeah. Um, where did that come from for you, Matt? Well, you know, you you get fed sources a lot of different ways. My parents were very community oriented. My mother was involved in all kinds of things, you know, and and this and this women's club and president of this and all that kind of thing. So I was always very aware of. What it's like to be part, what how a how a group of people can move things, and a band is really that. But sometimes, often, in in the, the arts or just in any organization, you know, um, there are people you know people like different roles. You know, some people love doing this part. Some people come up with ideas but need people to complete. That's kind of me. Mm. You know, I'm I, I'm a, sort of a brainstormer person, but I I really need uh, people around me to help me implement things. Yeah. You know, and get yeah. things through. Otherwise. My brother and I call it scheming, you know, yep. just sit around and scheme about things. And I have some fellow schemers, you know, and people like Jeff Letterer and, and uh, Martin Wind and Versace. I mean, all these musicians that I'm around. But for me, I tell everyone in this, you know, especially when it comes to uh, people um, in in and out of the music. But let's say let's say use for example students who want to perhaps do this as a career or have that kind of um, uh, aspirations, which I uh, by all means encourage. Um, it all starts with relationships. Everything is relationships, you know. And if, first and foremost, it's that you can play. But right. it's the second and foremost, right. it's relationships. So it's really not about a press kid and blah blah blah. Though those things support all those things. But to me, if you start relationships, then you're building trust. If you straight, if you create trust, then you're creating your community. And then if you have that, then you've created a legacy. And 
after a while, you know, you you have created, you know, just from relationships, that's the start. That shaking of hands, that being friendly to that person, that saying hello, that being kind to the person backstage, that doing this and that helps foster those relationships. So at every given point, you know, you're kind of responsible for those, your actions, you know, right. not only on stage but off and, and in life in general. And, and like what Jeff was mentioning yesterday, that – we we there's not really a separation between what we do in life and when we're on the bandstand. I don't right. I don't have to have this. I don't have to sit in a quiet room for ten minutes and meditate or whatever. I mean, people have their own needs, sure. but I'm the kind of person that wow, this is just what we do. Right. You know, this is what we do, and you know, I can just I can get off a plane and go right to it. I can wake up and have to go right to it. It's not like I need this or that. You right. know, and and um, so I've kind of. It's kind of nice not to have, kind of stolen a, uh, kind of paraphrased a, 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 a motto of Carla's Blaze in a way to 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 uh, she, hers is something like um, expect the worst, something the worst, demand the worst. I mean, she's being sarcastic, <laughs> right, right? But I mean, if you don't have my, I've changed that to sort of no expectations, no disappointment. So you go in and you just expect. You know, you're just going to welcome things. So when, like when we've done workshops this week, people will ask me, so what are you going to talk about these? I have no idea until I get there, <laughs> until we start. Right. And then, you know, I mean, often I may, you know, I have, we have different tactics for sure. Jeff and I have done this a long sure. time, or I've done, I have different ways in which I can go. But I, if I go in immediately, I'm not really serving the needs of that person at that point. And when you watch that happen, and, and we were in a ton of different schools and different environments doing jazz, um, and of course, as you mentioned, there are a ton of different approaches and curriculums and whether you're talking to instrumentalists or, or general audiences, um, when you come in with that approach where you just, you just, a lot of times you'll maybe play up front or you'll just start with something and let it go from there. I, I've seen, especially with young people, when they see that, it's almost like you watch their whole perspective on jazz change kind of in that moment because maybe in their young journey, they're learning like very like tactical strategies on jazz here's your blue scale here's the things you know through their band program which is essential you know that's how you start and build the foundation but when they see that happen in a jazz context it almost you see this expression on their face of like oh this is all the these are all the opportunities that i have with the music beyond just the 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 little strategies and yesterday um when you were doing some of the exercises with kids at bexley where you were asking the kids to represent different parts of the drum set even non-drum set players yes um and then jeff was doing uh, something where he was he was playing with a young saxophonist and saying there are three ways to communicate musically where you're agreeable disagreeable or or you're ignoring what's happening around you yeah. and, and so so dive into that and you see kids uh young people start to go oh man i didn't realize this was possible through this music yet so that's one thing i've seen when you take that approach is that they learn that there's there's so much more beyond the tactical with the jazz uh process yeah that makes sense yeah uh, no i agree and you know it, 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 zach it all depends on the setting we have ways right. i mean if we were to see these Young folks, again, today and then tomorrow, you know, we might dive into more yeah. specific things. But I feel like if you start with real specific this or that, then right. they start to go, uh, yeah. you know, they want to, my goal as a teaching artist in these situations is to have them, help them sound better immediately. Right. When I do summer workshops where I lead an ensemble, for example, which is one of my favorite things to do in the world. I mean, sometimes I feel like I enjoy the teaching as much as I do the playing, if yeah. not more. I mean, yeah. Stefan Harris, my good friend, who's a master educator, right. we talk about this. Wow, I think we get just as much satisfaction hearing these young people really go. 
And but what I my goal is to have them learn to play together. They can learn all this other stuff all year, but if you can teach them how to share, how to be a, in a band, you know, that's what we can do because that's what we can that's what we do. Right. You know, uh, we know how to be in a band and and what it's like to experience that and ways to do that and ways to welcome it from all the d- different spots. So it's really um, it's really challenging. Hopefully, what what my what I kind of uh, charge them to do is to take that back home. You know, one of my a great teaching artist. Again, everybody has their own ways. He's right. whacked, and we love him to death. It was Andrew <laughs> D'Angelo? We okay, love yeah. teaching with Andrew. Great teacher with kids. Really great knowledge of the history, and say this crazy stuff like um, some, you know, mention some way some guy in the. Stan Kenton band played trombone. We're like, who's that? You know, he he doesn't want to let on, you know, that he knows all stuff, but he did. Can't remember the guy's name, but he referenced one time. But he'll say to him, okay, now listen. He was now if when when we get up there tonight, don't go back to the way where you're just sitting there. Yeah. Use this. Or when we leave, don't go back to the uh, playing jazz like it's just, you know, keep this enthusiasm up. Right. And and I think that's something too that if we kind of liberate. But believe me, we have an easy job, an right. easier job than the person that has to see them every exactly. day. Like and they're the true yesterday. heroes of this music. Dave yeah. Lehman talked about this many years ago at a, at a dinner where he received an award. He said, listen, you know, we're, we're, we, we're brought in as special team coaches, you know. We come in, bam. But the, the, the real heroes are these people that start them out on instruments, have right. to give them the fingerings, have to have them. My, my wife was a you know, high school orchestra director, and, you know, the things she, she was a hero to me, right. you know, of music. And the things, what she did to welcome them into different situations and stuff, she was very imaginative with all that. Those are the real heroes. So I'm trying to be there to help them out as much as possible right. too and support them and be there for them. I always say, you know, you can get a hold of me through whatever organization that just brought me or I'll give them my information. And I really do keep in touch with those people. And I meet a lot of really great, especially I'm really intrigued by what really great high school and middle school band directors accomplish. Yeah. Yep. The college thing still, you're getting them, you're kind of a finishing school at that point. It's a little easier. You're still dealing with their issues, you know, you're still dealing with their human everyday issues, which I have to deal with now as a college teacher. Sure. But uh, to a certain extent, but they still get, but those heroes, the middle school people especially. Yeah. Man, I'd like to just gather them all and uh, uh, just have a big dinner for them and thank them, you know, like it just really because they really they truly are uh, great heroes for the arts. I want to talk about for a second some of the early the early days of Matt Wilson, the musician and the drummer. Um, Certainly, uh, obviously, you had to go through your own process of figuring out not only the craftsmanship of playing the drums, but but then how to express yourself. Uh, what were some early musical influences or family influences? What were some of the early elements uh, that you went through growing up that that inspired you to play jazz and also were, were key in building the foundation, teachers, mentors, uh, albums? What's sort of the DNA uh, of that beginning period for Matt Wilson? It's, it's actually very traceable. I mean, it's very, very traceable. Um, I've been very blessed to have... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I've never been very blessed not to have someone that was ever negative, mm. you know, that said, oh, don't, you know, you, I, you know, I've had a few people on the way that gave me tough love, granted, right. but I never had from pe- direct people that were around me constantly, oh, you know, my parents were great. My, the matter of fact, in the years later, they've been gone for quite a while now, but 
But years later, the weirder the music got, or the more that it was, our, our, the more they were into it because they could feel it yeah. being real. And they My probably mom. felt their son more coming through. Yeah, they yeah. did. And they loved it. They loved That's it. Awesome. They liked the writing. Matter of fact, my dad was up at the cafe one time in town and ran into somebody. And the guy said, uh, heard some Matt's music on the radio today. They were talking about it on the, on the NPR station or something. And I goes, yeah, yeah, he's got this new record out. And uh, he goes, it was pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> and Dad said, well, you know, that's what he hears. You know, that's what, that's yeah. what he likes to do. That's what he's into. Uh, I can they see never, that, that, that dialogue. Yeah. It's pretty weird. Pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and my mom was incredible in that regard. She was incredibly creative. And also gave us a high level of 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 um, ideals to go for. Yeah, you know, if we had a project, you know, we didn't do it. My mom pushed us not to do it, kind of half. Yeah, you know, nothing was ever half. It was like, you know, if you're gonna do the poetry notebook, let's do make a nice poetry notebook. If you're right. gonna make this poster, let's do it, you know, in an imaginative way. Maybe not most the most artistic way, though. My mom was pretty artistic, but for me, it was just getting a different angle. Yeah. I got a, I saw stuff on television. So, you know, I saw Buddy on the Lucy show. Right. Uh, you can see the episode on YouTube, actually, and it's great. And and he, you know, Lucy grabs his bag. She looks like her purse. It has his symbols in right, it, you know, right. the whole. And, but it was really great. So I, that's when I, and we could see people on TV playing the drums. Right? I look at the back of record covers and see the cat playing the drums. Sparkle drums just sort of. Really drew me in. They yeah, still it was a do. Big I, thing in those days. Yeah, I see a set of sparkle drums. Yeah. It's like, man, you know. Yeah. So I saw a buddy on there, and then my buddy that I was telling about last night at the at the or a couple of days ago, whatever, where I saw Clark Terry, Dizzy, Count Bass, you know, and Oscar Peterson within one week, and yeah. then he had a bunch of records. So it was, and I did too. So we'd get together. It was so hot in the summer. We'd get together, and uh, I remember the day that we put on this record called Rich versus Roach. His parents had it in yep. a record club. I can play it for you. Actually, I have it. And they play Sing, Sing, Sing. And my life changed when it went to Max's solo, Mr. Roach's solo, yep. where he plays over the changes with, with the bass playing, walking, yep. which I love. Yeah. So you can trace that back to that day. I love having wow. accompaniment. Yep. You know, he goes, where Buddy plays, you know, obviously plays great. Yeah. It's funny because I taught a class one day with Julian Priester and uh, at, at the Cornish School when I was doing a residency there, and he's on that record. He's in Max's band at that point. Oh, man. I taught with Jimmy Cobb, the great Mr. Mr. Jimmy Cobb, at uh, Stanford Jazz Workshop. He was at that date. Buddy invited him to come to the date. <laughs> and Max, he was there. Wow. He was there. So Gigi Grice did the arrangements for that. Yeah, and yeah. So from there, my brother played saxophone, so we, we would... We would go to town, Byerly Music. That's where I got my first set of drumsticks. I actually did some, kind of got connected, sat down and played a drum set first through a musical at the church when I was a kid. And uh, it just kept, it seemed like it came pretty naturally. I don't remember it really being a struggle to be able to do this. I watched this guy a lot, and I would just imitate him. And I had the bucket, you know, the whole typical yeah. thing. But I bought these Ludwig 9As or something like that with the... I, Red and I still have the original snare drum I bought from a guy. Wow, Steve Jackson was his name. I bought a snare drum and stand little symbol. I still have him, and orange sparkle, sparkle. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he, you know, you, I didn't, pl I didn't know how to read or anything. So we would just, my brother and I would improvise. We'd buy sheet music every week and then come home on Saturday nights and play the songs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my brother's in the theater. You know, my brother teaches technical theater at St. Louis University. Very imaginative, very creative, and so, you know. That's what we did. Yeah. 
I mean, we didn't have, we watched Monty Python and then we played these tunes. Maybe that was a little later, but when I was younger, you know, we, he was in eighth grade. I was maybe, yeah, we would really do that. And then I started to get records, you know, more and more records. And um, my brother got me a really, a big positive. Another, another highlight was this three record set called The Drums on ABC Impulse. They did one on the bass, they did one on the saxophone. Yeah. Basically what they did was they, they drew from the Impulse catalog or of other stuff. Michael yeah. Kaskuna and 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 Ed Michelle put these things together, both now who I know. Um, and back in the day, so they had, on this recording, it was at Baby Dodd Spooky Drums all the way through Barry Allshul with uh, Braxton or with Chick. You right. know? So all that music in between. So there was Buddy and Danny Richman and Chico Hamilton and Sonny Murray with... Uh, Albert Eiler yep. and uh, Beaver Harris with Archie Shep and Louis Belson playing uh, 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 Cherokee and Buddy playing Brainwashed and Philly Joe playing and Elvin playing Shiny Stockings yep. from all those records. So I listened to this a lot. So I just thought I I didn't have any sort of limitation on what I my concept of what I thought a jazz drummer was. The Eiler music at first kind of scared me, but then I really got into it. Right. And I liked the no time feeling. So I thought, wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I didn't have this prejudice or, or lack because I was ignorant, which yeah. I try to maintain ignorance well, to beautiful. this day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't have that. But I, I talk about this all the time. So I didn't know that I had to check into a five-year period and only play that music. But when you, so you came up, and that's such a beautiful thing to come up that long with no sort of musical prejudice or feeling of what what the right way of playing is yeah. versus the wrong. But when did it transition to a point where you felt like, maybe it was the first gig that you had with someone like this, where you felt like, I'm going to pursue the drums, but but I'm also going to play with my heroes. Like I'm uh, One of these days, I'm going to start to interface and be in the same families. Then was there a gig? Was there a, a lesson or an encounter with, a, with with one of your heroes that made you go... It's actually possible for me to join these ranks and play with these people. You know, I think it started when I got like when I got to play that first gig or wedding gig with my high school band director's dance band when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. You know, that was success to me. Yeah. And I liked the community. I liked the hang. I liked talking to the musicians at the break. Yeah. They were, you know, some of them were really sweet, some of them were kind of weird. Right. Some of them were bitter, some of them were happy. And then it just kept, I, I, that community just kept expanding. So all along, when I got to Wichita to play with all these different people. Yeah. So I, I never, I didn't want to, maybe it was not by accident. I mean, maybe it was just because I didn't know, but I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't never was like, oh, I want to get out of this town. I want to go here and I want to do, I'm only going to, I didn't have one person to pursue per right. se. Though, uh, when I heard Dewey the first time in January of 1988, I was like, man, I'd really like to do that someday. Yeah. And I got to for twelve years. Or when I saw Buster with Sphere, Buster Williams with Sphere, and 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 I thought, well, I'd really love to play with him someday. And I did. You know, I have a lot. Yeah. And or when I used to play along with Steps Ahead Records with Eddie Gomez, and right. think, wow, I hope I get to do this someday. And I have, you know, yeah. or, or to you know see and watch Herbie Hancock play live, and then say, wow, I'd like to do that someday. You know, and I've had that. You know, at least one night to get to do that, which I'll cherish forever. Maybe I'll get to do it again. I don't know. But to have that gift like that. So there was that. But I had a really good teacher, too. I had a private teacher that I got later. My high school band teacher was really great, too, because he really taught us music. It wasn't a competitive thing. And when somebody asked me the other day, we didn't have the jazz band in the school because, because of budget cuts. Though he did it on the outside, and right. we did it on our own. But uh, it was limited. So 
maybe that was good because I again I wasn't I wasn't given by one person what this music was. I had to find it out from a few different people, and right. he really encouraged. He would actually go with us to those concerts when we go to the Quad Cities That's and see cool. stuff. Yeah, and. But then I, I found a great private teacher named John Larson, whose son is Adam Larson, a really fine saxophone mm-hmm. player in New yeah. York. And it was that was in one of those moments because he, it came from a real musical source. And um, I'd study everything with him, mallets, theory, timpani, everything. I did all my college prep with this guy, and he was he's fantastic. I still keep in touch. I really I mean every. I mean to me, a teacher is always a teacher. Yeah. You know, once they're a teacher, they're always your teacher. Right. You, you even if you go. Career wise or whatever beyond, you're not there. But you're you're not there without those guys, right? You know, so he is great. And we we man, when I remember the day I learned the bossa nova beat, he played bass with me because he could play some electric <laughs> right, bass. Right. So instead of me learning it from a book, which I never really worked out of a book with him, maybe a couple just a couple of books in a way. Yeah. But it was all his own writing of stuff, and I learned that too. Like it wasn't going to come from one source. So the day that we learned the bossa, he played bass. So I was hearing dong, a dong, 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 a dong, dong, and I. So when I got to play, and I got to improvise yeah. with that sound too, and also feel it in the room with you, and and respond musically to another person. Yeah. So I was hooked, and yeah. I and I came up in a different way. Like for example, with through John and just through whatever. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just a different way. I don't. I didn't come up in the rudimental way. I don't right. really know the rudiments, right. the 26. I mean, I know rolls and flams and whatever, but sure. I don't know all that stuff by name. Again, it's just a different journey. Sure. It's not a, I'm not saying it's better, and, I'm, and I don't think anybody should say it's worse. It's just that's the way I came up. So it came up a lot of ways. And we worked a lot on the cymbal, ironically, <laughs> playing the cymbal and coming up with a way. He was very imaginative with ways of, of uh, introducing... Um, Comping in and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Singing them, playing them, et cetera. We sang them, we played them. I mean, you look back, it's great. So then I be, I would go to, my parents would take me to every workshop in the area possible. So I'd see Ed Shaughnessy, I, I saw uh, Louis Belson a lot, who was extremely kind to me. And I learned a lot about being a human being from seeing someone like that who's just such a great artist and yeah. a giving guy. I saw Buddy play. You know, I spoke to him even when I was a kid. He kind of got yelled at him once, but then he was super nice. He didn't want to sign the autograph then. And I was like, but what? And he goes, no, I said I'm not going to sign the autograph now. I was like, okay. And then when I went to the bus, he was fine. Yeah, but, right, right. You know, you learn, you know, but you got to know how to, sure. learn, you know, you got to learn that. Yep. How to respect. And the last time I ever saw him, we had a really nice, short, but kind of nice conversation. I don't think he knew I was a drummer or anything, but I brought a record called Buddy Rich Sings. I brought it on the bus. And he looks at me, he goes, see this record cover, kid? I said, like, yeah. He goes, should have never happened. And he, and he laughed and he smiled. <laughs> but then I would go, you know, I saw the Basie band. I saw, you know, I saw these bands. And I thought, oh, that's something I'd really like to do. Yeah. So then when I went to college, oh, actually, I, went, I, I, I met where I went to college. I had offers to go schools, kind of full rides and everything like that, to go to some schools. And then I went to um, this percussion symposium sponsored by the Ludwig Drum Company in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Summer of 80, 80. Let's see, summer of 80. Summer of 81, it would have been. Alan Dawson was there, um, Carmine Apice, <laughs> Al Payson, yeah. uh, you know, Lee Howard Stevens, you know, like Dave Samuels, Dave Friedman, you know, heavy duty, right. you know, cats, right. and all, Bobby Christian, oh man, just to get to experience Bobby Christian, <laughs> and, I mean, we'll talk about a whirlwind of just love and joy of sound. Yeah. 
But there was this group there, Wichita State Percussion Ensemble, did this opening night concert or second night concert. I was like, part of my night, but what the hell's going on here? This was great. <laughs> it was just a whirlwind of just virtuosity, yet creative and funny, and it, and it didn't stop. And it yeah. was just... And this guy came out, and he was like the ringmaster. I said, like, man, what's this cat all about? Right. Loved him. So we had a class the next day. It was like 11 o'clock in a classroom. And I went in thinking, what's this guy all about? And I went and I learned more, I think, in that hour of just practical, funny things, or you know, just things to do, and stories. And Man, I'm really interested in going to school there. So I pursued it. I took a train down to Newton, Kansas. I had to ride. The train got in from Galesburg to Newton at 3 a.m. I had to wait for two hours for the train station to close. Ride with that, the guy that owns the station. We called. We figured this all out. I wrote. I told my daughter this. I rode with him down to Wichita to the bus station. Now, nothing, nothing welcomes you to a new town you've never been to, even another state, another area of the country for me. I'd never been outside of Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, really. Wow. Went down there. Man. The bus station is my introduction to Wichita. <laughs> Here I am, this high school kid. And did hang- they know you were coming? No, no. J- Dr. So Combs came. Up. Dr. Yeah. Combs, whom I'm referring to, yeah. came and got me okay. like at seven or something like that. Picked me up, brought me to his house. Then I did the auditions. You know, got stayed. You. I stayed at a. I stayed at this real. Oh man, I, I drive by. Still drive by this little hotel motel I found, and it's unbelievable yeah. that I did, well, I know cell phone. You know nothing called collect home and. <laughs> But I auditioned there, and then I, you know, I got in obviously, and yeah. I got a nice scholarship, and and I went to school there, and I started, and and it was a life changer for me. Yeah. Not only about, you know, I didn't really learn how, and he'll, I'm gonna see him Monday night. He'll be the person, but I didn't really learn to play the drums with him. But I learned how to be a musician. I learned how to be a spirit in the music. I learned how to be an advocate. I learned right. how to be an impresario. I like that word a little bit better than entrepreneur. It's kind of overused for me. He was a real impresario. Yeah. You know, really great communication skills like yourself. Had a TV show. You know, was you know. He was a he was a, he's a character, and you and run it, into so many people that went to Wichita State that have the same sentiment. I mean, I sh- oh. I was a TA at Indiana with a, this uh, amazing musician Brian Mueller, who's yep. wonderful. He he'll do Keith Jarrett transcriptions on the marimba, you know, yep. just amazing stuff. And it's the same. I hear that same exact thing that that J C Combs uh, welcomed so much creativity and family through percussion, yeah, uh, and was just just such a stand up uh, guy in the industry. Oh man, and he still is. He's kind of back into some things. He's been retired for ten years, but now, from some encouragement, especially from me, I'm kind of pushing because it's just it's too much imagination to waste. He's maybe the most creative person that I know of on the planet. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) we hung out with him at the quartet, and we were you know having drinks and talking. He was telling just going. I got him going about all these projects: the pinball machine, (laughs) this and that. You know, pinball piece, the wrestling piece, all this crazy stuff he's done. And we all we went back to the room and. Chris Lightcap, who doesn't hand out, you know, he said, that man is a genius. <laughs> and still, you know, every time you bring his name up to right. anybody in my world or around you, you say J.C. Combs to Peter Erskine, you see J.C. Combs to exactly. any of these cats, you know, uh, they know not only just... Not only a lot, you know, but just how to handle yourself, right. how to dress, how to be professional, you know, and not and not super business. But I remember the first day he came in. This was fall of 1982, so that's quite a few years ago, and he had the statistics about how many people were graduating from 19 the spring of 82 with percussion degrees and how many orchestra jobs there were and what the percent. <laughs> this was in 82 when there was more work, even more yeah. than there is now. 
And I was like, damn. So basically what his thing was, you got to find what you can do and do it really well. Right. You, can't, you, you can't do everything, but you got to find something that you can do to make yourself you know, valuable. That's what I say to my students. How are you going to make yourself valuable? Yeah. And without, he never talked about business, business per se, but I learned a lot from him. So that was, and I still, I talked to him at least, at least once a month, if right. not twice. I mean, super close. They came to Felicia's funeral. I mean, you know, the school did. The dean came, you know, I mean, it's wow. like we're, you know, Wichita State is very important. Yeah. So that, and, but what was wild is that we pushed each other, man. Yeah. You know, we were, we were friends, deep friends. My deepest friends who came from that era, really, as far as percussion, especially. But man, it was, you know, my buddy Randy Burgard, a great drummer in Vegas. I mean, we still talk about, Man, he was practicing. If he was practicing, I was practicing. Right. If I was practicing, he was practicing. We'd stop and talk to go get a, a drink and talk about what we're practicing. You know, go go to yep. Dr. Pepper at the student center, come back, yep. practice some more. You know, and we were, and then we would push each other. What kind of crazy project are you going to come up with? You know, right. he really, Kosit was pretty a great teacher. He didn't have to do anything. Well, and it seems like he, it, it, he married the ambition and the, and the work element. Of, of being in music school with the creativity. The creativity never had to leave the room for you to go and, and do the work part. And yeah. Which, which you know, sometimes, you know, you see some young students that are so overwhelmed by the just the logging of the practice hours and that as, a, as sort of a technical exercise that the creativity kind of, you know, it's like you have to put that in your locker and then get your sticks out and go in and work on the ride symbol. It's like the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. No, not at all. Yeah. And the other thing is that he really welcomed us. Matter of fact, not only welcomed it, seriously encouraged us to get out of the walls of that joint. Wow. Yeah. You know, so I played in town all I mean, I was working within a month when I got to town. Wow. Every kind of gig I could take. I was used to working. So right. I got to end up gritting with this guy, New Graber, and man, I was working all the time. It was great. And eventually, man, you know, I, I mean, money-wise, percentage of what I made then to to what I had to pay in life, I was probably the best of my, maybe yeah. not, but close, pretty pretty good living for yeah. a you know college student or post when I was there after the year I got out. But through that, I met all these great musicians that lived in town. Yeah, you know, I met great country people. I met great rhythm and blues, rockabilly cats, cats that really knew how to play. I learned all about all this other kind of music other than just there. Then during the summer, we'd go different places. So we had one guy, man, that studied with, with, uh, with Alan Abel during the summers, wow. you know? Yep. And, was, and was a finalist in the Met Opera Orchestra auditions at like 19 or 20 years old. We had a, one, guys went to Cuba. I did the thing with Soph. You know, I, some guys went, went, hung out with, uh, you know, Andy Norell out west and, yep. and, and worked on the pan thing. Yep. You know? Everybody kind of found stuff that, you know, and we would come back and we'd share that information. So he would have us do master classes a lot too. So I learned how to communicate. I remember yeah, that first so one. I really remember working hard on what I was going to yeah. present because it was ner I was nervous. You know, it's yeah. my peers and they're like, okay. But it was great. It was a lot of love, but we had to present. So he wasn't, he wasn't the almighty there. Matter of fact, not at all, right. which is a sign of a really great teacher. Yeah, we talked about that the other day, that, that, that a teacher that doesn't come in and immediately establish that difference between in stature. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't yeah. want anybody to be Matt Wilson. You right. know, I mean, right. I, you know, I, I mean, you got to be who you are and you, and that's what he encouraged. Right. You know, I mean, you, I want to give people skills and craft. And, and so like, I, and then Soph was great because Soph was kind of the, I say I got an NEA a jazz apprenticeship grant in the summer for the summer of 1984. And I stayed with that. So that was a, 1984. I was 19 years old. I was almost 20 was another seminal period because I studied with Ed and that summer I saw Elvin Jones, Philly Joe Jones, actually 
in the same night. Billy Higgins, uh, Ayerto, Terry Lynn Carrington, uh, Peter Donald. Um, I would just go out. And, and you went d- down to Texas for this? No, no. This was in Boston. I was okay. living in Boston. Oh, he was gotcha. still living near New Haven. Okay, this is before he was down. Yeah. Down. So I would drive down from Boston to New Haven, North yeah. Haven, and take the lessons. And yeah. go back to Boston where I had a place to practice. And I would practice all day. It was the most, it was like very disciplined yeah, practicing. Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very disciplined practicing because that's all I had to do. So it was a really great thing to do. And then I'd go see the, the music. Alan Dawson, I saw Alan. I mean, I mean, you know, deep. So I brought that back to, you know, Wichita. And then that, I really, from that point on, I had a pretty good practice ethic, I think, about productive practicing. But I think then is where I really learned to journal and, you know, my friend would do that too. So we really would journal what we were working on and, yeah. and we know Maybe it was probably the most disciplined couple of years of my life, sure. probably from 84, around that period, maybe even prior to that, to um, 85 or something yeah. like that, really. And then through that, too, when the people would come to the Wichita Jazz Festival, we were encouraged to go talk to these people. You, you know, take them. We took Peter Erskine lunch. He still talks about it. Yeah. Remember, he goes, man, man, you took me to Connie's or Bill Goodwin or Buster Williams. Remember yeah. events there? But oh, I remember that. Mel Lewis, man, I met Mel there. He was super nice. My buddy and I stayed, just like we're talking here, yeah. we stayed with him until, until he had to leave to go to the airport. <laughs> Sunday night after the jazz festival, right. in, he had a Walkman with speakers. It was the first time I've ever seen that. Yeah. And he had this little speaker, and we listened, and he goes, man. And he had brushes and sticks, and he was talking about all kinds of stuff, and he yeah. gave us the greatest words of advice. He said, to, you know, fellas, I never have a bad night. And we're like, oh, really? He goes, <laughs> I just have better nights than others. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, all this stuff, maybe there was, we saw Art Blake. I mean, maybe it was better to be in a place where it wasn't so available that when we got it, we really had to pay attention. Right. You know, I think sometimes in New York and places, well, if it's all there, yeah, but you got to go see it. Right. Yeah. You still have to go and and commit yourself to whatever it is. So maybe it's good to kind of, especially young people, not enough stuff going on. Maybe it's great to go someplace where there's a little bit of, of transparency in their life and they can really work on stuff and get to play a lot, yeah. still get challenged, but still play a lot. And then when they go to those places, immerse themselves in it, maybe bring that energy back rather right. than be overwhelmed by that energy. Unless they're extremely mature or extremely really ready for what they want to do, I'm kind of glad I didn't move to New York until I was 27. You know? Yeah. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about your, your most recent projects. Uh, so you just put out a record in the last uh, year and a half, two years? Big Happy Family? No, uh, it, it was just less than a year. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, May and, of uh, 16. And it's a beautiful project. Thank you. Uh, uh, so many of your friends uh, and, and longtime colleagues, and really, it's, it, from, what, from talking to you and listening, it seems like the record itself came about uh, through the passing of your wife. Yeah. Which in and of itself, obviously, is a, is a tragic and heartbreaking thing. But, but the amazing thing about it, uh, uh, I happen to know sort of what was going on through Pete, Pete Mills here in Columbus and have a, an idea of what was going on in your life through that uh, event, that when you checked out the record, it was nothing but beautiful and happy. It was truly a big, happy family. Yeah. I think that I, yeah. I remember listening to that going, what, what a gift that you can give to this moment. You know, yeah, to I think so putting too. together you. something really beautiful like that, and so I'd like your thoughts on that as a project, but also uh, tying that to this concept, and and you've talked about it since you've been here. You'll come to a place, whether it be the Vale uh, Festival or the Vale Series or these other places you travel, and you'll work with the, both the guests and the local musicians, and you have a tendency to be the instigator, the guy that puts <laughs> everybody together, and not only you know 
has fun, but you create perform real performances like that. And and this record is a good example of that. So talk about the record and also just this this way that you have of of bringing people together in this way and creating the product, the the end result. Well, thank you. Wow. Uh, first, the record briefly, but the record for me was. Um, I because you know it took me a while to even get you know I was like yeah you know, I played on I was playing on records you know I was side person on records but band leading I did you know I did some band I was bleeding still and everything but it was sure. just you know it, it wasn't the same you know one part of it was it was nobody to come home to and talk to about the gig right you know it was really weird you know even though we, her and I didn't talk about it sometimes that much because we did this for so many years but Felicia was really great like how was it you know how was this or how the she was, you know, she never, she wasn't too involved, though what was great, she played with us a lot in the last right. few years. Right, she was a musician. Yeah, she was a great a violinist, musician. and she was really wanting to play improvise, so she was with the quartet with strings, and, you know, her first gig back after having the transplant was at the Litchfield Jazz Festival, so, which is the photograph inside the record. Yeah. So, so getting that together was was cool, and I and I wanted to celebrate, like, a, that, and her and just all those songs that she liked and then kind of revisit those and, and bring everybody back together that yeah. even if they weren't they're still part of the family sure, you know joel sure. played with us last weekend in chile you know and and uh, so and plus just those combinations and i'm also very intrigued by combinations of people and i don't look at labels and i don't like I've had some really great influences as far as that. Like, for example, my great friend Ted Nash. With through Ted is how I've met a lot of really great people that I would have never met because he has the, the the know know how and the and the and the imagination to go. Wow, I'm going to put these combination of people together. Right. So through him, man, I became really great friends with Winton. Through Marcus Printup, Wycliffe Gordon. Yep. You know, a range of people, and and I think we, we got to stop looking at what we think people do. Yeah. Oh, they only do this. Yeah, well, you're that guy. That does you're that it. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Man, like this last summer I was talking about the thing of Veil. You know, John Clayton is one of the most ex creative men. We played this set. It was wild. You know, it was Jeff Hamilton and I and Clayton and Gary Versace and three trumpets. Byron was one of them. Yep. And Benny Benack and the Terrell Stafford. So, you know, and Joel sat in and Jim White was there and I had him come up and play on a tune and we did a whole thing. We've also done two drummer things and two bass things. We did that one time at Vail. That wow. was Martin and I yep. and Jeff and John and Terrell and James Morrison and Bill Cunliffe. Mm. So which is it pushing it for these people at yeah, Vail? But right, you know, I right. don't I don't buy that because they loved it because it was different and it was real. Yeah, yeah real and honest. Right. It was honest. You know, that's what John stresses is honesty and clarity in music. And I you know, and so John Clayton, I should say. And so I don't, you know, I don't look at I've never have and I never will. You know, Ken Popal. Sometimes, the, sometimes the people that we think are quote, if we're going to use terms, are straight ahead, are the freest people I've ever met. Right. Sometimes the people that are supposed free people are the most restrictive, most controlling yeah. people I've ever played with. Because right. if it's if to me, freedom means that you will welcome whatever's happening. That's right. freedom. It's like that Lovano quote. I think that you or Jeff were mentioning yesterday. I don't, I don't play, play free, free jazz. jazz. I play jazz, jazz free. free. Yeah. yeah, Joe Lovano, oh, baby. How amazing is that? And yeah. he does. He embraces. So he's another one for me. Yeah. You know, puts together great combinations of people. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by repertoire and combinations of people. People came to the Village Vanguard when I my first week at the Village Vanguard ever was with Buster Williams band. People had came down to wonder, Matt Wilson and Buster Williams. Yeah. But I lo we love each other. I right. absolutely adore him. You know, if I don't want to say anybody's my favorite, but he's pretty close. You know, loved it. 
You know, I mean, I, it, and it, when it feels great and it, you find those compatible spirits, there's something about that generation of musician too that I'm really into. Hmm. The era where they had to, they established something, but they had to quarter, they had to create strong. They created strong music during the '70s and '80s, yeah, which is neglected, right? You know, him, Buster McBee, you know, Cecil McBee, Dewey, you know, Rufus Reed. I mean, these cats that, man. There, some great music went down, and we often we look at the guys prior, and we look at the post, you know, the the post Young Lion era, yeah. Winston and Bradford, great cats. I'm not putting anybody down, but we kind of maybe neglect a little bit. Yeah, these guys, Stanley Cow, all these guys, guys in the middle, that were doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, beyond the avant garde, I'm just saying people that were still playing, you know, jazz, the he's I mean, everybody that. So I have a real affinity for those folks. They 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 tip. They came up knowing how to, to tip and f- swing, but they also have this expansive side. Yeah. And they want it, they want it to be imaginative and creative and open. And again, the two are not mutually exclusive. No. These are not siloed things. They can swing and be free at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And when people start to label and put the worst like th- 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 things, this is the, the two things. One, one is well, this is the way we've always done it. That that phrase and, like, and style or yeah. what's their style? What's your style or what yeah. kind of what kind is? I don't know what kind it is. I just <laughs> I always just say fun, you know. Yeah. And then fun doesn't mean goofy ball, but it can. But fun means that it's real, yeah. you know. I mean, I I don't know how to, I I mean, like I said. Uh, Toots Thielman is maybe perhaps one of the freest people I've ever had the opportunity to play with, yeah. or or uh, Hank Jones, man. I mean, I played with Hank Jones, and he didn't expect he didn't come in with a list of stuff the way we were supposed to play. He wanted to play with Martin and I. Right. Wind. He played with us. We played together. It wasn't like oh, you you got to go in when you do this with him. You got to do this. I want this. I want this. He had no rules. Right. James Moody was the same way. Beautiful. James Moody played with with us with Bill Mays. It was a quartet. It wasn't us playing for James right. Moody. And he came in with that kind of attitude. He wanted a he wanted a new adventure, and 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 we found it, yeah. and it was really fun. Yeah. I'll never forget it. one night. I don't if it's, if it would have been thirty nights or one night. Still, I got that one night or two. Maybe it was two, and it was beautiful. Yeah. So, do we many nights? You know. Maybe too, it came from people when I moved to Boston. I had a great chance to become part of an, a, an era too. They think that there's people like the the we what we were harboring, what we were cultivating in Boston, not harboring, cultivating in Boston with either orchestra was wow. What's the what's going to be the alternative if you can't get in the, one of these bands? You know, the Messengers or Betty Carter's band or whatever. Not that we were thinking this way, but somebody like Russ Gershon put this band together, either orchestra, and I think celebrating. I don't know, thirty five years. I think no, this year it'll be. Yeah, this year will be, I don't know how many years now, but 30-something. And from that, people started to create their own projects, and it was more of like, so we were getting both. We were able to know that, wow, we can apprentice, which I'm still grateful that I've gotten to do, and I still continue to apprentice, yeah, right, but we'll lead our own projects and have that. Yeah. So, you know, I just got a phone call from Charlie Coley's this morning about a reunion we're going to do with that band coming up, and I still talk with Russ a lot. And from that band came Modesky and Modesky Martin. Would, would have started without the bravery of that band going on the road. Right. You know, and we went out and gave it to the people. There were not that many people playing in small, smaller places in the '80s like that. Yeah. You know, it was either major concerts or not much. Yeah. And that kind of band like that would come through, especially that large. It kind of created something new. Yeah. And through again, Miguel Zanon, myself, Carlson, John Carlson, Andrew D'Angelo, um, you know, uh, uh, Jeremy Udine, all these great musicians 
the list goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to leave anybody out, but great, great musicians that, that emerged from that band. So it's right. become, we were part of a pretty seminal project, you know, that, that I'm very proud of, of being, you know, yeah. having been a part of. Right. Right. Well, everything that you've put out uh, in this collaborative way, everything I've heard about through friends and colleagues has been, uh, if not uh, beyond everything else, beautiful and loving and open and swinging and free. And, and we can't wait to hear uh, your concerts with the quartet tonight at Notes. Oh, thank you. Um, can't wait to hear the record. You have a, a record coming out uh, sometime soon, right? In the, in the, it'll be in the early fall of called Honey and Salt and it's a um, music uh, that I've written inspired by the poetry of Carl Sandburg. Yeah, and I've gotten the am amazing fortune to hear some little snippets of excerpts of some of those poems being recited. Yeah. Which uh, is pretty hip stuff, man. Yeah, really thank cool. you. Thank you. I can't wait for you to... Uh, maybe I'll play a little bit this afternoon for you of uh, some of the stuff yeah. that, you know, that I have. But oh, I appreciate it. You know, um, uh, Jeff posted this this morning. I think it's really true. You know, we're in this new era now of making America great again and whatever. Okay, I'll subscribe to it. But there, but people like this organization is making it, you know, making America mm -hmm. great again. It's people that are going to do it. Yeah, you know, and we have to. We've been inspired to do that, and we're going to continue to be inspired to do it. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. We have to, but we have to have compassion. We have to have all that. But it takes work, and we have to get out there. But the, the whatever we can do to to give anybody the opportunity to have this music sound in them, I think we should. Not everybody's going to like it. Nobody should. Not everybody should like it. Right. right? But if we give people the opportunity to have an experience, and not only sonically hear it and experience it, but to actually get to know the performers. I right. think once people get to know the performers, they're going to like it. Right. They're going to find out that these are regular people like everybody else. And, and, and the people that I'm around are that kind of people too. And I surround myself with those people. I want those kind of people around me that are not afraid to talk to these people over here about the music. Be cordial. Be friendly. Be gracious that they're there. Yeah. You know, that's one of the only my only requirements as a band leader is that you be gracious. Right. You know, my people that that play with me and 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 they are and I and I think that's very very important because in the end, I, when I was a kid, in closing, I saw Count Basie on sixty minutes. I saw Count Basie live. I actually spoke with Count Basie. Wow. And I saw him on sixty minutes, and and Mike Wallace, I think it was Mike Wallace or Morley Safer, one of the two, was on the road with them, you know, on the bus. You hear the bus, and he goes, "Mr. You know, Mr. Basie, you've done all this. You've helped create a genre of American swing. You've done all this. What is it that you want to be known for?" And he stops and pauses, Mr. Basie, and he goes, "Hmm. Oh, that that Count Basie was a really nice guy." <laughs> and I saw that, and I thought, you know, yeah. he could have said this or that. Right. You know, most people artists have to have this, yeah. but man, he just said, you know, that he was a really nice he was that's yeah, what he I did that. he did that's what he did you know somebody f can fix a car somebody can grow a great uh, uh, crop of grapes and make great wine somebody can paint somebody can teach your children well he played the piano yep. he put bands together that's what he did yeah so you know that's what we do yep and i think that's a beautiful message to leave this with um i encourage everyone that's listening here to uh visit matt's website mattwilsonjazz.com Yes, right? please. Thank you. Uh, check out the records, uh, YouTube Matt, and see the wonderful things that he's doing. And uh, we look forward to the next time, obviously, to get you into Columbus. And thank you so much for your energy and talent since you've been here. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate Thanks, it. Matt. Love you guys. Thank you. Bye. We leave you with a performance by Matt Wilson and saxophonist Jeff Lederer from their offstage at the Jazz Academy event held here in Columbus. The tune is entitled Bubbles, based on the poem of the same title by author and poet Carl Sandburg.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Jazz Scene. We want to hear your feedback. Be sure to subscribe to The Jazz Scene on iTunes and give us your rating and comments. A big thanks to our music technology intern and recording engineer, Nick Fields. The theme music is by Columbus saxophonist Michael Cox, and The Jazz Scene is made possible by corporate, foundation, and individual contributors to the Jazz Arts Group. I'm Zach Compston, and we hope you join us again for another episode of The Jazz Scene.